Welcome to My Take on It with Your Angelic Karma. If you are interested in sharing your story in a future broadcast, send an email to yourangelicstories at gmail.com. Here she is, folks, your host, the one, the only, the also beautiful, Your Angelic Karma. take on it with your angelic karma it is tuesday february 15th we are live once again those of you that want to join in with me on the chat you're welcome to do so we're going to talk this morning about shape shifting now we're going to go ahead and make this distinguishment i'm pretty sure many of you already well of course those of you that are part of the spiritual community which is where you more than likely have found me you have heard of shape shifting now we're going to go ahead and make that distinguishment though still between a Doppelganger and a shape shifter for those that don't know, so you won't get these two confused. Now, let's see what a doppelganger is, and you could do your own research. And it states a doppelganger, literally double walker or doppelganger, is a biologically unrelated lookalike or double of a living person meaning that the doppelganger is biologically unrelated, but it's a lookalike of a person. I don't remember, but I think some, I think I've read somewhere some years ago that everybody on earth or majority, I don't know what percentage has a doppelganger like that. That was somebody that would be somebody remember unrelated to you biology, biologically, excuse me, but they are your lookalike. Not somebody that resembles you. They look exactly like you is what I heard. Now, in fiction and mythology, a doppelganger is often portrayed as a ghostly or paranormal phenomenon and usually seen as a harbinger of bad luck. That's in mythology and fiction. Other traditions and stories equate a doppelganger with an evil twin. In modern times, the term twin stranger is occasionally used. The word doppelganger is often used in a more gentle and neutral sense and is slang to describe any person of, who physically resembles another person. Now, so in, in mythology the, and in fiction, the doppelganger is usually described as an evil twin like that. Now, but in general terms, the doppelganger is someone that looks, is your double, is a double of a person, but they're biologically unrelated. Now, the word doppelganger is a loan word from the German doppel, doppelganger, a compound noun formed by combining the two nouns, doppel and ganger, walker or goer. The singular and plural forms are in the same, are the same in German, but English writers usually prefer the plural doppelgangers. The first known use in the slightly different form doppelganger occurs in the novel Sivinkas by Jean-Paul, 1796, in which he explains his newly coined word in a footnote. The word doppelganger also appears in the novel, but with a different meaning. In German, the word is written as is usual with German nouns with an initial capital letter, doppelganger. In English, the word is generally written with a lowercase letter 
in the umlaut of the letter e, A is usually drop doppelganger. Now, mythology. English speakers have only recently applied this German word to paranormal concept, to a paranormal concept. Francis Grosset's provincial glossary of 1787 used the term fetch instead, defined as the apparition of a person living. So the doppelganger is like, okay, you're living and you will have a doppelganger, a twin that is not biologically related to you. Catherine Crow's book on paranormal phenomena, The Night Side of Nature, 1848, helped make the German word well known. However, the concept of alter egos and double spirits has appeared in the folklore, myths, religious concepts, and traditions of many cultures throughout human history. So this had already been talked about, but there are myths, there are folklores, there are superstitions around it. Some people call it alter egos. But I feel that wouldn't it go... Well, it would be the alter ego of you, especially when, it, when it's applied to the evil twin. But that's myth and folklore. It doesn't have to be an evil twin. It could be just you're you're somewhere and, you know, and you meet or somebody sees your doppelganger. Usually, I, I, I would think, I'm not sure that you would not recognize your, your own doppelganger, but some of you might. Some people might recognize their own doppelganger. It depends. And some people may not. And remember, the doppelganger is not associated with you, is not biologically related to you. And they say that everybody has one. A majority of people have one like that. Do your own research. In ancient Egyptian mythology, a ka was a tangible spirit double. Now, they call it a spirit double in ancient Egyptian mythology. Having the same memories and feelings as the person who, whom the counterpart belongs. Now, this is different than what we know about doppelgangers here in the United States. You know, the United States, they, they, they try to exclude anything that is spiritual-based. So, they would just apply doppelganger. It's your double. It's um, biologically unrelated to you. It has nothing to do with you. It's just somebody that looks just like you. Like that. Okay, and they'll leave it there. But in ancient texts, it will be more in-depth. And, you know, people in the United States, in order to look more intelligent and more superior, they have to take the spirituality out of things like that, you know? So, in, so is the, in ancient Egyptian mythology, the Ka was a tangible spirit double. Now, this can be different than a doppelganger. This could be completely different and separate than a doppelganger. Or, you, you know, so, so they call it a spirit double because of this having the same memories and feelings as the person to whom the counterpart belongs. So this type of spirit double will have the same memories and feelings that they're, that you would. So that would be similar to what we would call a, that would be the correct definition of a twin soul as opposed to a line of romance with a twin soul. Especially if it has the same memories and feelings as the person the counterpart belongs to, a spirit double. But in the United States, for some reason, for maybe marketing or publicity or propaganda, the word twin soul is applied to romantic relationships. Now, 
The Greek princess presents an Egyptian view of the Trojan War in which a Ka of Helen misleads Paris, helping to stop the war. Remember this Ka, the Ka has the memories and feelings as the person that they look like a twin to. This extends out of what we know as doppelganger, meaning that the doppelganger, people state that it's somebody that looks just like you. Exactly. Exactly. But they um, but they have no biological connection to you. But we're going to talk about shape-shifting, but we're going to make it this distinction between doppelganger first. This mimic sense also appears in Euripides play Helen. Euripides' play Helen. And the Norse mythology of Vodagor is a ghostly double who is seen performing the person's actions in advance. Now, so, so this twin soul, Ka, would also perform the person's actions that they look exactly like. And have the, they, have, they have the same feelings as this person and memory as this person. Is just separated into two, ka, twin soul, spirit double. So it's one and the same person just split into two. Same feelings, same memories, same actions, same appearance. In Finnish mythology, this pattern is described as having a, an imitation, a first comma quotation marks. The doppelganger, doppelganger is a version of the Anku, which is a personification of death that appears in Breton, Cornish, and Norman folklore. Now, so it's a first comer. Now, it's a personification of death. Now, that appears in Breton, Cornish, and Norman folklore. You all can do your own research. I'm pretty sure those of you that, as I stated in the spiritual community, you know a lot about this like that. So, let's see. It would be where... Examples of alleged doppelgangers. John Doan... Isaac Walton claimed that John Doan, the English metaphysical poet, saw his wife's doppelganger in 1612 in Paris on the same night as the stillbirth of their daughter. So he stated that he saw his wife's doppelganger. And remember, doppelganger is, is a, a person that looks exactly like you that has no biological connection to you. He saw it on the night as the stillbirth of their daughter. Okay. This account first appears in the edition of Life of Dr. Rezon Rising, published in 1675, and is attributed to a person of honor, told with such circumstances and such as observation that I verily believe that he had that he that he told it to me, did himself believe it to be true. Now that's in quotation marks. Two days after the arrival there, Mr. Don was left alone in the room in which Sir Robert and he and some other friends had dinner together. To this place, Sir Robert returned within half an hour, and as he left, so he found Mr. Don alone, but in such ecstasy and so altered as to his looks, as amazed Sir Robert to behold him in such 
that he earnestly desired Mr. Doan to declare befalling him in the short time of his absence, to which Mr. Doan was not able to make a present answer, but after a long and perplexing pause, did at last say, I have seen a dreadful vision since I saw you. I have seen my dear wife pass twice by me through this room with her hair hanging about her shoulders and a dead child in her arms. This I have seen since I saw you. To which Sir Robert replied, Sure, sir, you have slept since I saw you, and this is the result of some melancholy dream, which I desire you to forget, for, for you are now awake. To which Mr. Doan replied was, I cannot be sure that I now live, than that I have not slept since I saw you, and, I, and am assured that at her second appearing, she stopped, looked at me in the face, and then she vanished. Now, that was the dialogue here in this exchange. Now, the other example of alleged doppelgangers is Percy Bosch Shelley. On July 8, 1822, the English poet Percy Bosch Shelley drowned in the Bay of Spezia near Lurisi, Italy. On August 15th, while staying at Percy, Pisa, Pisa. Percy's wife, Mary Shelley, an author and editor, wrote a letter to Maria Gisborne in which she re relayed Percy's claims to her that he had met his own doppelganger. A week after Marcy's nearly fatal miscarriage in the early hours of June 23rd, Percy had had a nightmare about the house collapsing in a flood. And also, talking it over the next morning, he told me that he had many visions lately, that he had had many visions lately. He had seen the figure of himself, which met him as he walked on the terrace and said to him, how long do you mean to be content? No very terrific words and certainly not prophetic of what has occurred. But Shelley had often seen these figures when ill. But the strangest thing is that Mr. Williams saw him. Now Jane, though a woman of sensibility, has not much imagination and is not in the slightest degree nervous, neither in dreams or otherwise. She was standing one day, the day before I was taken ill, June 15th, at a window and that looked on the terrace with Trelawney. It was day she saw, she saw as she thought Shelley passed by the window, as she often was then without a coat or jacket. He passed again, now as he passed both times the same way, and as from the side towards which he went each time, there was no way to get back except past the window again, except over a wall 20 feet from the ground. She was struck at seeing him pass twice, dust and look out and seeing him no more. She cried, good God, can Shelley have slept, have leapt from the wall, have leaped from the wall? Where can he be gone? Shelley said, Trelawney, no, Shelley has passed. What do you mean? Trelawney says that she trembled exceedingly when she, when she heard this, and it proved indeed that Shelley had never been on the terrace. It was far off at the time she saw him. Now, so these doppelgangers that were spotted obviously had, were supposedly had some type of, they were, were um, apparitions like that. Percy, Shelley's drama, Prometheus Unbound, 1820, contains the following passage in Act 1. Ere Babylon was dust, 
the Magnus Zoroaster, my dead child made his own image walking in the garden, the apparition soul of men he saw. For now there were two worlds of life and death, one that which beholdest, but the other is underneath the grave where do inhibit. The shadows of all forms that think and live to death unite them and they part no more. Now, meaning that upon death they come back into one these twin souls that they're describing as doppelgangers. Now, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, this is the other example of alleged doppelgangers. Near the end of the, of the book of his autobiography, Poetry and Truth, 1811 to 1833, Goethe wrote almost in passing. Amid all this pressure and confusion, I could not forego seeing Federica once more. Those were painful days, the memory of which has not remained with me. When I reached her, when I reached her, my hand from my horse, the tears stood in her eyes, and I felt very uneasy. I now ride along the footpath towards Drusium, and here one of the most singular forebodings took positions of me. I saw not with the eyes of the body, but with those of my mind, my own figure coming towards me. So he saw his own doppelganger. On horseback and on the same road, attired in a dress which I had never worn. It was pipe gray with somewhat of gold. As soon as I shook myself out of this dream, the figure had entirely disappeared. It is strange, however, that eight years afterward, I found myself on the very road to pay one more visit to Frederica in the dress of which I had dreamed. Okay, that, that this person saw the, the twin soul and they're stating it and they're, they're defining it as sightings of doppelgangers. Now, in, uh, in, the state, in the dress of which I had dreamed and which I wore not from choice but by accident, however it may be with matters of this kind, generally this strange illusion in some measure calmed me at the moment of parting. The pain of quitting forever noble Isaacs with, with all I had gained in it was softened. And having at least escaped the excitement of a farewell, I, on a peaceful and quiet journey, pretty well regained my self-possession. So this person states, in meeting their twin soul in a dress that they had never worn, but they recognized coming towards them on a horse, if they were in passing on one, they did, with the same dress on, the real person that is, is stating the claim, claim possession of their self like that now and became one with their own twin soul now this is an example of a doppelganger which was perceived by the observer to be both benign and reassuring okay now that's what it states george tyron tryon excuse me examples of alleged doppelgangers now for these people with their doppelgangers they met their own doppelganger which is out which is uh, are, are these twin souls that they're meeting and they're incorporating themselves with and into some of them are and some of them have seen they've seen the other doppelganger or twin soul of other people now George Tryon a Victorian age example was a supposed appearance of the vice admiral son sir George Tryon he was said to have walked through a, the drawing room of his family home in Eaton Square in London, looking straight ahead without exchanging a word to anyone in front of several guests at a party being given by his wife 
on the 22nd of June, 1893, while he was supposed to be in a ship of the Mediterranean Squadron. So he was supposed to be gone in a ship on the Mediterranean, and but he was seen by multiple people and his wife. She was having a party, walking and looking straight ahead without exchanging a word to anyone. So his twin soul was there because it, it was in his home place. It was not his doppelganger because your doppelganger is supposed to be a, if the United States wanted to change definitions and change so much with history and change so much with writing in order to look intelligent and superior to other people and other stories, it, we would have a lot of information, you know? Now, so, so remember the doppelganger is supposed to be the person that looks exactly like you, but it has no biological connection. You can meet them anywhere. They don't have a connection to you, but they look, they're your twin. Now, but the twin soul has the same memory and feelings. It could be in your exact area, like seen in your house or, or coming towards you like that. Okay. So now these are, these, this is what people are saying. We're not saying if it's true or not, we're just reading him now. So while he was supposed to be in a ship of the Mediterranean squadron maneuvering off the coast of Syria, Subsequently, it was reported that he had gone down with his ship, HMS Victoria, the very same night, alter it collided with HMS Camperdown, following an unexplained and bizarre order to turn the ship in the direction of the other vessel. So that same night that multiple people saw him walking through the house, the guests at the party, he his ship had gone down. So, so was that his spirit? Now, twin strangers is the next. Is the next um, example of alleged doppelgangers. With the advent of social media, there have been several reported cases of people finding their twin stranger online, a modern term for doppelganger. There are several websites where users can upload a photo of themselves and facial recognition software attempts to match them with another user of like appearance. Some of these sites report that they have found numerous living doppelgangers. Now these doppelgangers would not have your memory or your same feelings or your same actions. They will be unbiologically related to you. Twin, your twin stranger. Now you have to decide what you think about everything that I'm reading. And then we have a lot of examples in real literature and you all can, can, um, You all can decide what you think about it. I've never had these experiences, but they're quite, they're, they're quite strange to me. So now, but we're going to talk about shape shifting and, and, and what shape shifting is now. So let's see what is shape shifting. Here. And usually when we hear about shape-shifting, even in the spiritual community, it will usually be associated with shape-shifting in some, into some type of animal like that. It would be human to animal like that, that type of shape-shifting. Now, so, now you have to decide what you think about this. 
shape-shifting. Shape-shifting can be defined as the alteration in form or substance of any animate object. There seems to, there seems no limit to the kinds of objects susceptible to such alteration. Examples abound of the shape-shifting of plants, animals, humans, and gods. Shape-shifting can be caused either by the object change or by an external force. It can occur for good or for ill and for reasons simple or profound. Shape-shifting is found in essentially every religion and mytho mythological tradition. By no means it is it a phenomenon restricted to unsophisticated cultures remote in history and geography from the dominant civilizations. An enduring fascination with shape-shifting is easy to detect it in modern popular culture as well as in the major religions. Comic book and cartoon characters such as Superman and Spider-Man are typical shape-shifters, and shape-shifting is certainly an element in the deepest spiritual insights of Christianity, Hinduism, and Buddhism, as these religions are currently practiced. Because of the rich variety of contexts and levels of subtlety in which it is found, it is impossible to assign shape-shifting a universal meaning. Zeus's appearance as a swan and Christ's transfiguration are both instances of shape-shifting, but they have quite distinct meanings and importance. It is possible, however, in a survey of the phenomenon in its manifold occurrence to distinguish between types of shape-shifting and to find out within those types a common meaning and function. The most frequent type of shape-shifting involves strategic deception. Strategic shape-shifters change themselves for reasons of aggression, seduction, or trickery. A second class of shape-shifters are those who use the device for, for escape from another's aggression or seduction. Now, a third type has the simple function of punishment, and a fourth rewards or compensates the changed object, usually by immortalization. A frequent but often subtle kind of shape-shifting seeks liberation from bondage or punishment. A somewhat mercurial, though widely found type may best be described as instances of borderline or confused identity, where one mode of existence is much like another, that the two are repeatedly exchanged, so they go between the two. Finally, by far the most profound variety of shape-shifting is that which has revelation as its design. Now, strategic deception, and I'm going to talk about the United States specifically, as it grants for a reason to be superior, especially as it relates to other people's cultural beliefs that they look at as beneath them. This is how you can look cause yourself to become be looked at as superior in the world and amongst other countries and other other um other cultures in other countries when you can eradicate homelessness in your own country do something practical like that and become a real first world country then you can be looked at as superior making fun of other people's cultures and, and and you know and and changing things doesn't make you look superior is when you can do practical things like eradicating homelessness in your own country not making excuses for that and eradicating certain types of diseases things like that, and eradicating, like, addictions, things that the United States could take control over, then you could be looked at as superior, like that. Now, so, strategic deception, and remember, we're not saying we're in agree with this, we're just getting the information out here, Strate we're just talking about it, strategic deception, stealth is so essential an ingredient in any conflict that it is in the interest of all contestants to be something or somewhere else than their opponents expect them to be. To be something or somewhere else than their opponents expect them to be. 
Kuliscope, for example, the major god of the Mismic Indians of the Maritime Province of Canada, overcomes a series of enemies by clever reuses and rapid shape-shifting. His power to change himself includes the power to change others, but he will occasionally grant immortality in the form of a tree or stone to those who request it. The Marus, bellicose deities in the service of the Hindu god Indra, can enter undetected into a presence of their enemies by such means as changing themselves into apparently helpless infants. Perhaps the most progenist of all the shapeshifters of this type is another Hindu god, Vishnu, who assumes a great number of incarnations or avatars in his battle against evil. The best known of the avatars is Vishnu, of Vishnu, Arama, and Krishna, which of whom is remembered for epic struggles involving shape-shifting. Seduction is probably as, us as usual a reason for shape-shifting as is aggression, and, is certainly, and it certainly takes more colorful and indigenous forms, ingenious forms, excuse me, as its most basic level seductive shape-shifting consists in taking the appearance of another's beloved. Thus the magician Merlin gives other Uther Pendragon the form of Duke Gorlas that he may satisfy his sexual longing for Gorlas's wife. Now, so this was able to shape-shift into their competitor to be with the other one's wife. So it's able to shape-shift into another person's husband. The fruit of this union based on the deception is Arthur, king of Britain, so the Zeus, the foremost of the Greeks' Olympian deities, appears to Asmina in the form of her beloved Amphitron, but Zeus is usually more inventive, coming to his, his, his unsuspecting lovers as a satire, a shower of gold, a white bull, a swan, and once even as the goddess Arthemis. So Zeus, we already know Zeus used to shapeshift into other beings and other deities, in order to seduce women romantically. Seductive shape-shifting can sometimes be reversed, as commonly happens in Arthurian legend. For example, where the seducer appears as an irresistible young woman, but is in fact an agent of evil or death in disguise. Trickery is the theme of an enormous body of folktale and myth. Tricksters displaying remarkably similar characteristics can be found in a diversity of cultures. They typically take the form of animals, but can also such, be such borderline beings as dwarves, elves, imps, and trolls. Not always, but frequently, tricksters carry out their mis mischief through shape-shifting. A trickster may, for example, present himself as a person of supernatural powers in order to win a bride or change himself into a snake to steal meat hidden in a skull. A common feature of trickster stories is that these de deceptions either expose or they backfire on the trickster. Now, the false bridegroom is revealed as a malevolent fox. The trickster finds that his own head has grown onto the snake's body he has assumed, making it impossible for him to draw it out of the skull. Tricksters very often suffer and even die for their blundering misdeeds, but they nonetheless return miraculously for more adventure, changing from death back into life, the ultimate feat of the shapeshifter. Because shapeshifting is a continuum. 
just like life into what we as humans know as death is just a continuum in a different state. Now, the line between trickery, and we can say that with certainty because we don't know what death is and nobody does. So we can state with certainty as a continuum equally to somebody that states that it's not and it's an ending. It is an ending, so to speak. I am Mars, Mercury, Venus, and Scorpio. That's the eighth house death. But uh, ending as we know it in our, in our, as it relates to what we've been hoped to wish or hoped to know or have to be told to know or have to have facts about. So that means we don't know. Now, so the line between trickery and evil is often fuzzy. Satan, for example, has a great supply of tricks, many of which involve shape shifting, but he is certainly no mere trickster. Similarly, the great mischief maker of Norse mythology, Loki, capable of assuming such diverse forms as bird, flea, milkmaid, or fish, sometimes seems to be the originator of evil itself and not just another divine trickster. Now, escape is another reason for, tra- for um, shape-shifting. If stealth is valuable to the aggressor, it is no less valuable for the intended victim. The Greek goddess Daphne is changed into a laurel tree to elude the amorous advances of Apollo. Zeus transforms Lo into a heifer to protect her from the wrath of Hera. But such shape-shifting is filled with risk. The Celtic god Sien transforms himself into a boar to escape his pursuing enemies. They in turn become greyhounds, hunt down their quarry to kill him, and kill him. When Demeter, in the shape of a mare, flees Poseidon, he accomplishes the seduction by taking the shape of a stallion. And remember the shapeshifters that die, they, they come, they're said to come back. They are, the shapeshifters that die, they are said to come back. They could continuously shapeshift. Now, so what do you all think about that? Now, punishment is another reason for shapeshifting. Shapeshifting has such obvious utility for pursuit and flight that examples of it have little inherent intellectual or religious weight. When it takes the form of punishment, it becomes considerably more nuanced. There are, to be sure, numerous simple instances of direct retribution. Thus, Lot's wife is transformed into a pillar of salt for violating the command not to look back at Sodom in Roman mythology. Okay, at Sodom. In Roman mythology, Picus pays for his rejection of Circe's sexual advances when he transforms him into a woodpecker. In his, more, in his more refined form, shape-shifting is punishment, emerging a number of traditions as the transmigration or reincarnation of souls. In Hinduism, where the concept is most thoroughly developed, the reincarnated soul has a new shape determined by the quality of his spiritual life and previous existence. Those of you that believe in reincarnation, you most definitely believe in shape-shifting. Like that. Now, and this is quite funny to me. It's, it, what makes it funny when it, they talk about human shape-shifting into animals and things like that. That's the funny comical part of it to me. There is no end to this serial shape-shifting until the soul is able to cleanse itself of all attachment to the changeable. In other words, the soul will be punished by shape-shifting until it has no shape left whatsoever. So it means that it's, the soul continuously goes to its re- into its reincarnation in order to heal, grow, and evolve, and that's sort of a punishment. And they'll keep doing that until there's nothing left to shapeshift into regarding previous and past lives, parallel universes, multiverses, like that. Now, 
which all denote different states of consciousness. Now, this idea persists that play out here in the third dimensional consciousness where you have a specific type of human form that this shape-shifting is happening in. This idea persists in Buddhism, though with much less emphasis. And this is what lets us know that the emphasis, the body is just the shell. The soul is the energy. That's why it could take on many forms. Because it's insignificant. But it tells much about the soul that it dwells, that the, um, about the souls that, soul that dwells in it and its, its shape-shifting abilities. Plato gives, well, the idea persists in Buddhism, with, though with much less emphasis. Plato gives the idea considerable authority in the West. And Plato, for instance, he said he, he has Socrates argue that souls would go through an indefinite number of rebirths, but with appropriate, appropriate transformations. Those who are gluttons in this existence will be, will be asses in the next. The unjust and tyrannical will become wolves and hawks. And those who practice the civil and social virtues will be bees or ants if they are not changed back again into the form of man. As well, Plato suggests that humans have fallen into this earthly shape from one more desirable. Now, now liberation is also a reason for the shape-shifting, this writer states. For every tale of punishment by shape-shifting, there is one of liberation. The princess of one of the, the tales of the brothers Grimm must weave six shirts out of flower petals and keep silence for six years in order to break the witch's spell that has changed her six brothers into swans. Cinderella must be found by the prince, the cafe waitress by the movie producer, each dust to be freed from her hum humiliating bondage. Okay. The shape-shifting of liberation, since it must always come from without, grants unusual, often unknown, or hidden powers to the changers. Pygmalion, a Greek sculptor of great skill, innocently shapes a statue, then finds he has fallen in love with it. Aphrodite secretly brings the statue to life as the woman Galicia, just as innocently as a child in another grim tale takes a frog to dinner and then the bed acts of affection that transform him back into the prince he really is. There is often the assumption in this kind of shape-shifting that the change from one state to another is the liberation of a being from his false to his true nature. So the, the, the shape-shifting can liberate the person from the false into his true nature, especially with the Cinderella story, which is quite funny and, 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 and becoming the maid and all of that and living that torturous life. But when really in essence was a princess under a spell like that. Okay. That shape shifting. And then in the end, they're shape shifted back into her true nature. But there, but there was a spell. It was of jealousy and envy. The Cinderella story. By the stepsisters, right? That was Cinderella, right? Okay. Shape-shifting her into a, what? Loneliness, being a maid, into rags. But she was really of riches, but it was the step stepsisters, right? 
the water jar, the water jar, jar boy of the Indian tale not only springs into human form, he leads his mother into a secret well where she is joined with the supernatural beings who are her true family. The Christian thinker Bothius, tortured to death by the Ostrogoth rule of Rome, Theodoric in 524 CE, wrote that philosophy in the shape of a woman entered his cell to console him with the message that he suffered from his punishment only because you have forgotten what you are. So she told him that he was only suffering from the punishment that had fallen upon him because he had forgotten what he was or who he was. But they in shape-shifting, you eventually wake up to who you are because shape-shifting denotes a continuum, a type of immortality. As long as he could remember that he was in truth per soul, he will be freed from the torment suffered by his earthly shape. So if he was able to remember that he was a soul and the body has no significance, it's only a shell, it could change into many forms. That's why it goes back to the earth and becomes the earth. Okay, now it, it, he would be able to, to, if he was able to remember that, that he was just energy, a soul, that he would be free from any type of earthly torture. And, and, and this takes my mind back to science because I lean heavily towards science, even though I'm spiritual. I still lean heavily towards science, but I don't like, but I, I look at this type of stuff because it has some type of, it has some type of clues in it. Now, is even when we look at the first common ancestor of man and we look at, what was it, Loki? And it was waterborne. And that's the first common ancestor. And that was Loki. Let's see here. Are you all following me that are listening? Is is Loki, right? Let's see. What was it? Loki? Or what was it? The first common ancestor? Who was Loki is a Greek god? Okay. I have Greek gods on the brain here. Puka. Luca. It was Luca. And we also have Fuka, F-U-C-A. So Luca, the first common ancestor to all humans, to everything on earth, was waterborne. It shapeshift into what we have on earth today. Now, so... The idea that humans are liberated from a false existence to a true one is widely found in mystical literature. Islamic mystics, for example, declare that there is their desire to be who I am before I was. That it is their desire to be who I am before I was. A highly sophisticated and extreme form of liberation by shape-shifting is found in classical deism, 
For the ancient Deus, the spiritual goal was not a transformation from one kind of being into another, but continuous transformation. Continuum, as I stated. All that is, they th- they taught, is in the process of change. Yeah, it's, it's a continuum. Everything is, there's, we always say that, that change is a constant. There is no ending. Therefore, and even if you take back Luca, take us back to Luca, change is a constant. There is no ending, and humans will continue the evolution from one stage to the next. There is no ending. Therefore, there, ending only exists as far as our mind is able to capture. In ending is only pertinent or important to a mind that has an ending point. Ending is relevant to unevolved minds that end, their, their own mind ends. Like that. Okay. Therefore, the path or dial of liberated person does not have a goal. It is a path of endless change. Exactly. Zaglunga, a Deus philosopher who lived several centuries before the common era, wrote that liberated person rise on the flow of heaven and earth and the transformation of the six elements and wonders in the infinite. In other words, the liberated person is an eternal shapeshifter, possessing no shape that is truly his or her own. Now, the other reason for shapeshifting, immortalization, they write, a relatively small number of shapeshifting tales and beliefs fall into the category of immortalization. At the simplest level are the stories in Greek mythology of Hyacinth, a lover of Apollo who was changed into a lily, of Narcissus, a lover of his own image who also became a flower, and of Echo, a lover of Narcissus who was cruelly immortalized in the disembodied form of a voice that could never speak for itself. It has been a common belief in many cultures that gods and heroes have taken permanent places in the night sky. Disbelief, disbelief enters into Plato's philosophical speculation in the time in the timeless that the stars are the souls of those liberated from the earthly shapes. The Christian doctrine of the resurrection of the body also shares in the general character of immortalization by shape shifting. Lo, I tell you a mystery, Paul writes. We should not all sleep, but we should all be changed. Because there is a continuum. There is no ending. And if there is, how do we know there is? And if there isn't, how the hell do we know? Ending is, is as limited as the person that is, the person who has the mind that has embraced in. And what is ending? Ending is just change. This more philosophical or theological understanding of shape-shifting, it shouldn't be noted, is that precise opposite of what, of that of deuses in which all possibility of immortality is rejected. Just as if we take a tree that has been burnt down, it does, the tree doesn't die and end, it becomes ashes. Or a tree that dies naturally, it becomes a part of the earth. There is no death, it, it'll continue, but in a different shape, very much still living. There's no end. There's no end. 
even if we think take things as simple as recycling with plastic, reusing it, biodegradation, okay, there is no end. Nothing goes anywhere because everything is here. There is no somewhere else. Parallel universe, multiverse, other worlds, all those are just states of consciousness, states of awareness that some people don't have and some people do. Now, so, Then we have the other reason for shape-shifting, borderline and confused identities. Now, a lot of psychologists, and they will be out of a job, and psychiatrists, they, they have to, to be modern. They had to give, like, um, a, a psychological label to certain things, you know, that were unexplainable, or it was easier to do that. I'm not saying that, that people don't have psychological issues. I'm not stating that. But, you know, spiritually something else would have been come up with. But in order for society to look modern like that, they have to make themselves look modern like that. And I already told the United States specifically how it can make itself look modern if it wants to be superior. Clean up your streets with all these homeless people in it and become a first world country for real. Do that now. Borderline and confused identities, and I've talked about that in the past, the whole six years I've been public. Now, borderline and confused identities, there's a large class of shapeshifters who seem to be existing in two realms at the same time, who seem to be both human and animal, or both deity and natural phenomenon. The best example of this kind of shapeshifting in Greek mythology is Dionysus, a god of multiple origins and traits. There is only one continuous characteristic of Dionysus through all of his often contradictory manifestations. He is always closely associated with natural process. His usual dwelling place is in the wild, physically and, and, physically and physically far from civilized human existence. The natural order from which he is inseparable usually causes social disorder. He is widely known as the god of wine and reverie. Even his birth has a strange ambiguity about it. He was born twice, once prematurely of the goddess Semele and once from the thigh of Zeus. This double birth may account for the fact that he came, can sometimes be found in female form. He could assume a great number of shapes, although the line between the divinity and natural process has no restraining effect. He is also, he is as closely associated with death as he is with life. He was raised in the forest by Sitar, by the Sitar Salinas, who was found, who was fond of saying, excuse me, that the only happiness in life is to die and leave it as soon as possible. Dionysus dies by being pulled apart by women in an ecstatic ritual and is thus also known by the name Zagras the Torn. Once dead, however, he comes back to life, a symbol of the natural process itself, which requires death for the regeneration of life. Now, so 
What do y'all think about this? Now, other Greek de deities, notably Artemis, Poseidon, and Demeter, have identities bound up with nature, though none so closely as Dionysus, whose origins are, in any case, more Middle Eastern than Greek. The ancient religions of Mesopotamia and Egypt include the worship of a, of a great many gods who change their shapes in a manner imitative of nature. Ishtar, the Babylonian goddess of love and the voluptuousness performs an annual ceremonial killing of her lover Tammuz, lord of the wood of life, who vanishes into the earth like the thresh and planted grain, only to rise again in the spring into arms of Ishtar, who then repeats the process. This particular kind of architectural shape-shifting has distant but un unmistakable echoes in many other mythological and religious traditions. Note the paralyzed in parallels in the story of Christ, scourged and crowned in a mock ceremony, a false ceremony. He is executed and, and at the time of a spring fest festival shortly to rise in the midst of, a, of women as a new food for the life of the community. There are instances of the elusive sort of shape-shifting that seem at once to be both divine and natural. Equally elusive is the shape-shifting caused by the intimate identity of the human with the animal. Popular Chinese legend commonly has the trickster fox posing as a respected citizen, often without anyone ever seeing his fox form. In Europe, werewolf legends are found everywhere. Indeed, until the 18th century, it was widely believed that some human beings could periodically pass into the form of a wolf. The belief even encouraged a quasi-scientific study of such creatures thought to be afflicted with a form of insanity called lycanthropy from the Greek words of wolf and human. Now, Revelation. Finally, there's the shape-shifting that appears to have as its principal function the awakening or enlightening of observers to an otherwise unnoticed reality. Thor, the hero god of Norse mythology, was once admitted with his companions to a magical castle where they had to prove themselves by such feats as racing with a giant who, who seemed to reach the finish line as soon as he started, lifting a cat whose single paw Thor could not raise from the floor, and wrestling with an old woman of frail appearance but astounding strength. When they had lost these contests, it was explained to them that they had been competing with thought, the world serpent, and time, as though these were realities but which the heroes needed instruction. The Greek god Protheus offers an interesting variation of, on this theme because he possessed the gift of prophecy. Protheus was often asked to reveal what the future held for a person, as though to impress his, his suppliants with the anguish that comes from such revelations. He would change himself into monstrous forms meant to terrify them. To those who refused to be intimidated, he offered the requested knowledge. Revelatory shape-shifting does more than imply this simply occur in Christianity. It is its central affirmation. The doctrine of the incarnation is properly to be understood as the revealing transformation of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God, and the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory. 
The Gospel of John begins only once. However, does one find in the Gospels an event in which something of Jesus' divine form is revealed. Jesus took several of his disciples upon a mountain and was transfigured before them. His face shone as the sun and his remnant was of brilliant light. The disciples fell on their faces in fear and reverence. A remarkably simple event can be found in one of the best known works of Hindu literature. This text is the account of a conversation between the famed warrior Arjuna and the god Krishna, who was, the, was in the form of Arjuna's chariot driver. Near the end of this, the discourse, Arjuna begged Krishna to show himself in his true divine form. When Krishna did so, his face shone with the light of a thousand suns, and Arjuna beheld the universe in all its multitudinous multi diversity, lodged as one being within the God of gods. Like the disciples of Jesus, he was both terrified and rushed before this transformation. Now, now, so, and, and with Christian beliefs, which I'm not religious, and I'm stating that man comes from God or is in the image of God, they will believe that all, they would actually have to believe that all humans then actually innately have the ability to shape shift. If God does, and Jesus did, and humans are of that same entity. In vibration. In referring to Jesus and Krishna as shapeshifters, it may seem that their, their spiritual importance has been trivialized, that they have been placed in the company of tricksters and seducers. On the contrary, these self-transforming powers of Jesus and Krishna show how immensely varied the phenomena, the phenomena of shapeshifting was. What the many shapeshifters have in common is only an external resemblance. When one looks into the inner meaning of each instance of shape shifting and try to understand it in its context, similarities rapidly disappear. Shape shifting in a universal is a universal phenomenon to which no universal meaning can be applied. To cite an event is an example of it is not therefore to state its meaning, but encourage inquiry into its meaning. Yeah, because it takes it away from the from the body, and in in it actually um, highlights that the body has no significance. It's the soul, is the actual soul that dwells within the body that has the power to shape shift. Now, so that's shape shifting. Let's move on to this here, is what I want to look at where we bring science into it a bit. In, in, in science fiction, I guess, could give shape-shifting a bad name. People can physically modify their body in order to shape-shift. For example, some tribal people put rings on their necks to make their necks longer, and a man had surgeries to make himself look like a lion. In a tribute, men made themselves look more like crocodiles. Foot binding was used to change the size and shape of a woman's foot. Now, okay, so that's not what we're going to go into. Now, so is it, this is not my question, not my wording. This is the word on the street here. Is it scientifically possible to shape shift? This is more what I would be researching shape shifting, even though the other information, it was informative, but you have to decide what you think about it. I'll be more looking at the scientific information, which dates, all information isn't out here like that. Some things, some information is withheld. We most definitely know that. Is it scientifically possible 
to shapeshift, especially things that are still under study where significant amounts of evidence has been obtained. It, it, I think it would be be still being un, in this in the discovery process and looked at like that. And, and I think I think information not being out there, especially as it relates to science, is a plus. Everything doesn't need to be out there because they want people to get the wrong idea. They could not want people to panic. They could want to find the facts. They could want to do more investigation. They could want the process of the discovery to continue like that. So, you know, like that. Is it scientifically possible to shape chef? What do you all think? That's the question. Not my question. Not my writing. Now, Dakota answers, believe it or not, it is, but the process is not fun. By shape-shifting, you may be thinking of the process where it takes about the usual 20 seconds to shift, but that is not the reality of it, and you cannot do it on your own. You can, however, get it done surgically, and the reason for that is to be able to actually shift, it requires your bone structure to be like that of snakes, and that means that your bones will have to be in tiny segments. Sadly, medical professionals have, professionals have stated that this process would take about a year to complete and a whole nother year just to shift back. And this procedure takes big bucks. But on the bright side, at least you would be getting a lot of attention, whether it be good or bad. I don't know, but you will be getting a lot, be getting a lot. And you might even become a little bit popular and make it into the Guinness World Book of Records. This person is talking about a different type of shape-shifting. We're talking about more so where the person has the ability to shape-shift and it, it, do, it doesn't hurt like that. Now, the innate ability is there. Now, this field states, I never thought so until my partner showed me a video she'd taken of me walking. My shape, the angles between my body and limbs was continually changing. At first, my right leg was out of an angle forward, out, out in, at an angle forward of me, then a second later, it was an angle behind me and my leg was in front of me and so on. Also, my arms were changing positions and thus the shape of my body. Then I checked my phone and realized that it would do it too. I have since seen countless other people do it and many animals too. I've seen coral do it and moles and fungi and fish and birds and even trees and plants and grass, though they do it much slowly. It is quite extraordinary. Now, a lot of people will argue against that and state it was something wrong with your camera like that. Now, I always remember what arguments what people will have to come to to um, to challenge something. Now, this person states, hypothetically, if it's accomplished through growth and not movie magic, if a multicellular organism where to be able to shape shift, firstly, every transformation will require the breakdown and transportation of the cells and base components of every changing structure. This is the type of information I was waiting for in communication and replies. Now, that will require energy and thus food, making the organism incredibly hungry while changing. Well, it would require energy because the soul is an energy. That's why the body is able to shape shift. It wouldn't be the body itself that has the power. It would be the energy, the soul within the body. And it would take food, meaning that it would take, it would take the, um, the soul would be the food. It would be the power source, giving food nurturance to the body in order for it to take different form. It's just like a, when we, when, when we have self regenerate regeneration like that, the soul is the power source, soul meaning energy, 
like that consciousness, it will be will be the power source that is fueling it. It's not the body miraculously performing a regeneration, regenerating itself. It will be the energy within the body igniting the regenerate regeneration, like that. Now, as for speed, though, not sure about what the limits are to growth and regrowth. A lot of embryonic development is just creating base structures and usage structures that eventually be inefficiently carved out by cell death. So if you get rid of the apoptosis, it'll be, it'll probably speed it up some bit. I think right now the limit of regrowth is somewhere around a week. So at best, ad adaptational shape shifting is the most plausible ability. Plus assuming the organism is rewriting its own phenotype, at will, then there'll always be more component of the brain, the construction system connection in every form. So it would have to have a core of some sort. If the brain is rewriting its own phenotype, it will mean that in, in shape shifting is happening at a cellular level that that complete regenerate regeneration is happening. It has been ignited by the energy with the soul. And the phenotype is the external appearance. And, and does that happen at um, without awareness, without conscious awareness, shift in appearance? Then it can happen at a a level of death, which is what this reply, which all the replies would have been like this, because this is what I was more looking for these types of information. Cause I told you, I told you I lean more towards scientific and practical now. So, but those other, like, um, other cultures, especially ancient texts, ancient writers, they hold clues. So you can't discount that. I don't, I mean, you could also go with something more like effective mimicry. Yeah. Similar to how an octopus goes, does its thing, but with more extendable parts and skin that doesn't require so much water though that probably just give the ability people always make chameleons out to have but with extra steps it'd be straining to keep up the shape of what is mimicking for too long due to it being conscious partly muscular action so it wouldn't be that much of a power especially since the organism doing so would have to look something like a pile of super stretchy spaghetti with connectable rims like tentacles to get that much foreign potential. That's why, because it's mimicry, it mimicry, it doesn't mimic itself as a twin, but it resembles itself. Hmm. And and if we look at look at Luca in science, man, the the ancestor, the all living organism on Earth. The humans, the trees, the 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 animals, which humans are animals, everything. And and, and Luca had the shape shift. It was waterborne. It was a, a mass of organism. And it shape shifted into everything around us that we have today. So so I would like the next episode is gonna be pretty what science has discovered about shape shifting regeneration um also with evolution
Shape-shifting, it, it, it coincides with evolution. Shape-shifting, evolution. Shape-shifting and evolution are, are like cousins. But what came first? Obviously, the ability to shape-shift if all living organisms on Earth came from Luca. So, but we're going to be talking about that. Now, so, more in the future. Matt states, and he works at criminal cases, assuming this means like a werewolf into a Sherlock Holmes movie. No, I think that's why I stated that. I think that um, sci-fi gives it a bad name. It makes it laughable. It may be possible to have nanotech swimming around your bloodstream whose task is to do physical re-engineering of the human body at the will of the owner. This possibility was riffed on by Greg Bear in his 1980s No Blood Music, but that will require extensive engineering and such shape changes would take a long time to do. Well, if, if it's, well, and somebody, Samuel asked, how long will it take exactly? So, so he states, like the movies and, and, and sci-fi, no, he doesn't believe in that type of shape shifting, but that it may be possible, though, with nanotech swimming around in your bloodstream, whose task is physical re-engineering of your own human body, and you, the human owner of the body, would ignite that. But it will require extensive engineering. So, but if, if humans are already, because they come from a shapeshifter, Luca, which is the ancestor to all human, all, um, everything, all living, breathing organisms own life, including humans, that ability would already be a, a we call it regeneration, is shape-shifting. Evolution is, is just shape-shifting. Shape-shifting gets a, the name shape-shift gets a negative, is defined negatively based on sci-fi movies. Now, Dean states, he's a physicist. That depends on what you consider shape-shifting. A slime mold is amorphous, amorphous, and change its shapes. Does that count? A caterpillar could change its entire body to become a butterfly. Does that count? Yeah, that's shape shifting. It's evolution. It's, it's regeneration also. It is shedding. People undergo cosmetic surgery, changing their, changing their appearance and or sex. Does that count? That does not count. That is not shape shifting. We're speaking of shape shifting the natural process of the body changing itself. Those do not count. That's cosmetic. No. You can design machines that operate in different configurations. Does that count? No, because they will be encoded. We're talking about when it comes from the. Is like. Natural. Technologically, you could design a cyborg to change appearance. In theory, at least you could design bones, which could be extended and retracted with a skull that could be reconfigured with skin, hair, and eyes that could change pigmentation. This would create someone who could take on a wide range of appearances. Now, under instruction, 
because you would be talking about a cyborg, okay, something that is created. We're talking about we're we're talking about something else with shape shifting, natural evolution, natural regeneration, like that at a DNA on a cellular level, that type of shape shifting. When people that like okay. And, and people can do it that you're around. You see them and they shape shift like that. It may be even possible to genetically engineer organisms that possess those in abilities innately. Not engineer the organisms that possess the abilities innately. If we all come from Luca, is cre if creation, not creation, but um. Evolution, excuse me if I stayed creation in the past, if evolution is supposed to be true and the common ancestor to man is Luca, that means that everybody, every human, every animal, every every plant, every tree has the ability to shape shape. That would account to how fruit trees bear fruit. That would account to how when the tree is chopped down or it dies naturally, it becomes the earth. It goes nowhere. That that would account for all of that. It would account for if if humans evolve, it would account for the continuous evolution of humans. So it's, it's not that the 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 that it would be have the genetically engineered organism. It would be that the the organisms are already genetically engineered with this ability. Through the very fact that it is that humans evolve, that shape shifting evolved from what? Something that Luca, that is the birthing place of everything that is exists on earth. That lives and breathes. And it's continuum. So humans were already genetically engineered and possessed this innately. However, one coming about naturally seems very unlikely as it would require very drastic changes to their biology. Now, there isn't any easy mutations to get those abilities, and most of them wouldn't be able, would it be that advantageous. Even if you got the full set of them to be able to change your appearance, the advantage isn't the type that encourage widespread survival because they will have to be, they will continuously be on a change. They will continue to be shape shift and wouldn't survive long in any one form is basically what he's stating. Drastic change in biology. But if it is an eight, it would already be the person we already genetically engineered with this commonality to the first ancestor to all things on life. Luca. If we want to put evolution in it, or God, if you want to put religion in it, or the universe, if you want to put spirituality in it. And we state that this has created all life forms on earth, spiritually, scientifically with Luca, spiritually with the universe, and God with religion, carries that which has created everything. 
Now, in that which it has created, carries the ability to create, transform, shape, shift, regenerate. The more drastic the shape change, the less likely it is. Being able to say transform into a wolf from being human is pretty much impossible. Yeah, the, the, the sci-fi gives it a bad name because that is drastic. The, the tree that is a seed and then become a, becomes a tree and then bears fruit is more evolution. Just like the human that has the ability to give birth is more evolution. And just like the ongoing evolution that humans are under, have been under, that brought them to where they are today and will bring them to where they'll be in the future. Just like Luca into the plants that we see. Luca was a, water, a waterborne mass of, of um, cells. And it was it, it, it shapeshift evolution into the trees that we see, the animals that we see, and us. Which would have been drastic and quite sci-fi-ish. Luke itself is belongs in a sci-fi movie. Truth be told. A mass waterborne their evolution into that evolution itself into every animal that you see on earth and every human and every plant. But Luke itself was birthed from water, but everything else on earth was birthed from it. So maybe science needs to look at a look, take another look at sci-fi movies. Cause what that would, what creation would evolution, excuse me, would actually belong in a sci-fi movie. Not that I'm talking against it, but, you know, truth be told. The more drastic the shape shift, the less likely it is. Being able to say transform to a wolf from a human being is pretty much impossible. I'm in agreement with that. On the other hand, I can imagine a swarm of small robots designed to modulate in a lot and take on a wide range of desired shapes. In, in, in theory, this could look something like the liquid metal robot from the Terminator 2 book with less Hollywood. In general, it is possible for things to take on multiple shapes. In general, it is possible for things to take on multiple shapes. The more different those shapes are, the more frequently they change them. And the faster the change is, the less feasible it is. Now, Clarence states he's a metaphysician, an artist, and psychic. Self-proclaimed here. Absolutely not. One cannot add or remove mass that is not there. Body alteration is possible and happens every day, but gradually. Now, he says body alteration is possible, but happens every day, and it happens every day, but gradually. To change one shape from one creature to another takes place in metamorphosis, but the resulting final creature cannot have more mass than what was started with and can often end up with less mass. Moreover, metamorphosis usually takes several months. Tadpoles also change shape but do not gain more mass than, than is possible through normal body functions as they change into frogs. You do not get a two-pound frog from a one-ounce a two-pound frog, excuse me, from a one-ounce tadpole. A six-foot man cannot change into a smaller or larger animal. Moreover, such rapid changes 
as depicted in films, will be so painful that the change will most likely kill an individual from the shock alone. There is one way a shapeshifter could operate, though. That could mean having the spirit leave their body and enter into the body of another creature, more or less taking over that other creature's body while their own lay asleep in a protected location. Then the size of the creature would not matter as spirit does not have size, mass, gravity, or any other physical attribute. Moreover, no pain will be associated with associated either. Although the spirit in control will still feel all that the creature is, it was inside also felt. So he's stating that he's against and doesn't believe in the human turning into a werewolf because that would be painful in the mass. Now, you know, and the... Because that would be completely different. But he does believe in the spirit leaving the soul, leaving the body, and entering into another um, animal, human, whatever. So, let's continue. Somebody answers human states, how about projecting a hologram on yourself to disguise what you look like? And he answers, that person states, that is camouflage science, not shape-shifting. Zenery answers him and says, you don't need to add or remove mass to change shape. Also, if you consume something, you can gain mass just like you can release mass. And Zane states, yes, you can change mass. Einstein's theory is that mass changes with size and he might have proven it possibly. So what do you all think of this? Dennis asking, we're going to leave it here. Could it be possible by using quantum physics? I love quantum physics. That's the science that I, that's the study of science, the body of science that I lean towards, especially with parallel universe. I love it in multiverses, states of consciousness. That's a question. And that's what we're going to do more of our investigatory work on. I like the, the replies when they're talking, when they add at the scientific injections into it dennis also states dennis says could it be possible with using quantum physics also would it be possible at a quantum at the quantum realm we're gonna leave it there that's more important more significant to me now until next time thanks for listening bye